The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Amen. Thank you, Dan. What a friend we have in Jesus. And what peace we often forfeit when we don't take it up to Him in prayer. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, is prayer. So let's bow our heads and go to prayer before we go to God's Word. Father, again, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us to be in your house. And as Dan prayed earlier, the many around the world don't have the opportunity to do what we're doing here today. And Father, I ask that you be with us with your Holy Spirit. Bless us and open up our hearts and ears to listen to your word. And Father, this hour, I also pray for those affected in the El Paso and Dayton shootings. I ask that you be with those families and comfort them and help them realize, help us all realize that that the problem is not the guns, it's not the bullets, but the heart of the problem is the human heart. And only you can give us that new heart, only you can give us the heart transplant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're slowly winding down, we're coming down to stretch, as you say. We've got today and next Sunday, if God wills, and we'll be done with the book of James. So if you're following along, please open up the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to address verses 13 through 18 this morning. And I'll begin reading in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing psalms. If anyone among you is sick, let him call that for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man of nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it will not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, before we go into this passage, I want to realize that this passage has been a battleground for many interpreters, many uh, denominations, for example, various groups uh, use this as proof of text for their particular beliefs. Uh, Roman Catholics find it biblical support for a sacrament of extreme um, unction. Uh, faith healers with every stripe and kind have used it to teach that sick Christians are guaranteed he- healing through prayer. Uh, still others precedent for anointing, anointing uh, sick people with oil. But the word prayer is mentioned, or prayer or pray is mentioned seven times in this text. And that's what it's about. Prayer is mentioned in every one of these verses we just read. What is prayer? Prayer is simply an intimate communication with God. You don't need a $10 definition. That's all it is. Intimate communication with God. And James tells his readers, embraces the prayer life of the entire church. If you really think about it, verse 13 talks about the individual prayer. In verses 14 through 15, it's the elders that pray. Verse 16 tells us about congregational prayer. 
and 17, 18 gives us an illustration. You see, James actually had a reputation of being a man of prayer and historians, and they tell us that he has, his nickname was Camel Knees because he had knots on his knees or calces because the amount of time he spent in prayer. And prayer is the greatest privilege of our Christian life, being able to talk. Think about it. We don't really think about this much, but, you know, if somebody said, I got to talk to, I don't know, Michael Jordan or whatever your favorite sports star is or somebody that's famous. I got to talk to him or the president. You take a picture. You get to talk to the creator of the universe. Do you, do you realize that? The creator of the universe. Uh, and you see, when we depend on organizations, we get what an organization can provide, and that's something. We depend on education. We get something that education provides, and that's something. We depend upon money. Money provides something. It gives us something, and that's something. But when we depend on prayer, we get what God can do. Not what money, education, or anything else. Prayer, we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. And friends, I'm telling you that churches in America, churches all over the world, our homes, our schools, and what we individuals need, and what Grace Fellowship needs, is what God can do. Is what God can do, and what prayer can do, is what God can do. Anything that God can do can be done through prayer. Jesus said in John 14, 12, said, More surely I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. How do you do greater works than Jesus? Jesus said in the following verses, in John 14, 13 through 15, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Anything you ask, you pray. That's our greatest responsibility as Christians. Probably one of our greatest failures in Christians' life. If I probably asked you, if you, how's your prayer life, and would you spend more time in prayer, you'd probably say yes, all of us. We talk a lot about prayer. We study about prayer. But the truth is, if we really get down to the issue, a lot of us probably are not satisfied with our prayer life. So James here, there's lots of things that I want to look at this passage, but only time allows, because I know I tried your patience last Sunday, right? So we'll talk about when should I pray, who can pray, and how can I pray more effectively. So when can you pray? And here I want to address three things when you really need to pray. And the first one is when you're hurting emotionally. In James 5.13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. As an antidote to the suffering or afflictions, James urges people to pray. And prayer is essential to enduring affliction. David said in Psalm 18.6, says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. You see, God is the ultimate source of all comfort. And Apostle Paul described him as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our turbulations. That's 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. And the word suffering here in verse 13, he's talking about internal distress caused by external circumstances. It might be financial crisis. 
might be a relational crisis, something outside, emotional, your heart is breaking, tensions is all-time high. And we have to realize that this verse 13 is kind of connected to what he was talking about previously in, the, in verse 12. Remember when we get all these kind of afflictions, we start to swear, we start to complain, we start making all kinds of oaths. But James is saying, instead of opening your mouth for those things, open up your mouth for prayer in verse 13. You can open up your to complaints, or you can open up your mouth to prayer. So what he's saying is, <laughs> prayer should be a knee-jerk reaction when we have afflictions. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And then he continues in verse uh, uh, James 5.13 says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. It's important not only to turn to God when we have afflictions, hardships, but we should rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. Are things going well in your life today? Anybody? No trials today? No suffering? Are you singing your praises? This often does not happen, does it? We'll remember the Lord when the bottom drops out. We will call on the Lord when things are hard, but when the bills get paid and the health is good, everything's going well, we say, God who? Remember the story of the ten lepers? They had this disease, incurable disease, and it's in Luke 17, and, and God lovingly, Jesus lovingly healed them. How many came back? One. Only one came back to thank him. Paul and Silas also experienced this when they were in jail. They were shackled up for preaching the gospel. But what did Paul and Silas do? In Acts 16.25 says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and sending hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. So they heard, what did they hear? Songs. They didn't hear any groans coming from the, from the apostle and Silas. The Lord will command his loving kindness, it says in Psalm 42 and 8. What do we do when, when, when the midnight, it's dark in our lives? The Lord command his loving kindness in daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to God of life. And you know, when I was reading Charles Spurgeon, he said, any fool can sing in the day, and it's easy to sing when you can read the notes by the daylight. But a skillful singer, skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not the power of men. Isn't that true? So the verse 13 tells us when you have afflictions or you're happy, what are you doing? You're always communicating with God. Either you're praying or you're praising and there are times we don't feel like singing to the Lord. Anybody have those times? It's not, it's not that you're a bad Christian. We have those things that I don't want to praise God. Anyone feel that way? But Hebrews 13, 15 reminds us, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. See, it refers to the sacrifice of prayers. There's Praising the Lord is indeed a sacrifice. 
It's not something I want to do. I don't feel like it. I, I'm not in the mood today or I have a cold or this, that going wrong in my life. But why do I worship God? Why do I worship the Lord? Because I'm in the good mood? No. Because He is worthy. He is worthy because He deserves my praise. He deserves my honor. It is the sacrifice. But it is one that's well worth making. So are you happy? Then sing songs. So we're to pray when we're hurting emotionally. Or if you're doing well, you are to praise Him and sing psalms. And then we're to pray when we're hurting physically. James 5, 14, 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Is anyone among you sick? Well, what kind of sickness is James talking about here? Well, first I want to address sickness that really three, sick, three main sicknesses in the Bible, that there's a sickness of death to death. Uh, in 1 John 5, 16, it says, If anyone sees his brother sin, sinning in sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will be given life for those who committed sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. That kind of sickness God allows in our lives to take us home. There's some sickness that will never be uh, recovered from. Uh, there will be illnesses uh, someday that you'll never recover. God doesn't want you to live indefinitely. We need to realize that. In, if every sickness could be healed by faith, then a lot of people with strong faith will live indefinitely, right? But it can't. So there is sickness to death, and that purpose of that sickness is to take in your home. There's also sickness of discipline. God disciplined his. And we're remembering the Lord's Supper today, and actually in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul writes, he says, but let a man examine himself, not participate or eat unworthily. And in verse 29, he says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. So Paul said there is, they were abusing this Lord's Supper, and the reason some of them were sick is God was disciplining them. And if they don't listen, many sleep. It's a sin to death. And there's a third kind of sickness, and that sickness is to glory of God, to glorify God. Remember in John 9, uh, verse 2 to 3, it says, And disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because a lot of times, and still today, a lot of people, some people think that any kind of sickness is because of their sin. And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but the works of God should be revealed in him. So there's three kinds of sickness that I want to touch base, and that's death, discipline, and glory of God. So not all sickness or affliction is due to sin in your life. Remember we talked about Job last Sunday. Job had no idea what was going on or why it was happening to him. So this word in verse 14, word sick, means to be without strength. It does not refer to some little headache does not refer pain between shoulder blades or ingrown toenail, not 
acid, you know, acid indigestion or post-nosal drip. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, verse 14, is genuine, real, terrible, awful. He's talking about a grave problem. The guy has serious, serious illness. It's the same word that was described in Lazarus when he was, he was dying and people were telling, hey, Jesus, you need to come here. It's the same word that is, is, was used when that uh, person laying next to the uh, pool of Bethesda all these years and didn't have strength to get into the pool. He's talking about serious illness when you're beyond the help of a doctor, let's say it that way. Now, we've seen this serious illness, so what's the procedure James is suggesting here? Here's one procedure. Now, it's only a procedure. It's only what a person, not necessarily he has to do, it's a person what the person may do. And that is, notice that word let. It's not a command, but it's an opportunity. Let the elders come. Who are the elders? Elders are pretty much the spiritual leaders of the church, pastor, bishops. Uh, it's used interchangeably. Uh, it's not some self-anointed person, some busybody that uh, walks around with a bottle of some anointing oil. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about someone sending for the elders of the church. The elders of the church are to come and pray over him and anoint him with oil. So before we get into prayer, what is this oil stuff? Gaster oil? Uh, some say that it's medicinal healing. We see that in the story of the uh, Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, 34, it says, So when he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, he set him on his animal and brought him into the inn, took care of him. For example, God does use doctors and uh, medicines to heal. Uh, so some say that it's referring to medicinal purposes here. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to a doctor, but there is something wrong on uh, putting your faith in your doctor rather than putting your faith in God and then going in the doctor. But here, this annoying, anointing oil, in my estimation or my personal view, does not refer to medicine. That's not what it's referring to. If it's medicine, then anybody, just like a good Samaritan, can put that on him. Why call the elders? The doctors can do that. And the book I, another book I read is, uh, refers to giving a person a rub down with oil. Now, I don't believe that that's what it refers to, and I don't believe the Lord wants the elders of the church going around rubbing people down with oil, uh, so I just don't believe that. But it refers to a special anointing in the Bible. In the Bible, the oil was used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit and setting someone aside, sanctifying that person or thing for the cause of Christ. We, saw, we see that oil is poured on people's heads when they're uh, anointed kings and so forth. So let me just give you an example of that. And I'm talking about, and there's one, you know, it's one among many. Uh, in book of Leviticus 8.10, it says, And also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. You see, when you took the oil, anointed something, you sanctified it. And what does the word sanctified mean? Set apart. So if you look at Leviticus 8, 11 through 12, it says, And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils, and the laver and its base consecrated them. And then he poured some anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. 
So it's key set apart uh, Aaron as well. So do utensils become healed from something? No, it means it's a symbolic act setting something apart. Very similar to the one we're participating today. The, it doesn't turn into blood. The, the bread doesn't turn into a body. It's a symbol, you know, and there's a lot of them. Laying of the hands, there's ordination, there's baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, uh, spoonful or tankful. It, it's just a symbol of the resurrection of the new birth. So when he calls the elders of the church to come, they may anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is person is set aside for the cause of Christ. And another example for me would be in, in John 9, in verses 6 and 7, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So, you see, he spit in the dirt, made mud cakes, put them in the man's eyes. Do you believe that the mud had some kind of healing power? It was simply an aid for this man's faith, who was going to believe. It was faith that healed this man. It wasn't the mud packs in his eyes. So, emphasis is on the power of prayer, not the power of the oil. It's a symbol that was used. And a lot of people teaching and going around today about healing, a lot of different divisions about healing. And again, this is the most misunderstood or disputed passage. At first, because at first glance, it does seem like, uh, you know, sick believers can expect physical healing through prayers of the elders. But such interpretation is out of harmony with the context. Elders are not professional healers. We're not going around, or should not, and hold these healing meetings. And I find it strange that people who claim to have the gift of healing always insist the sick come to them. And I look again in verse 14. It says, is anyone sick among you? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It does not say pray for him to begin with. But you say it says pray over him. What does that mean? The elders are to pray, to find, and do the will of God. You see, a prayer that's going to make it to heaven has to start in heaven. Now, in 1 John 5, 14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to what? His will, He hears us. So the purpose of this prayer is not to get the man's will or my will done, but the purpose of this prayer is to get God's will done. And so we pray over the sick person to determine the will of God. The Bible says He prayed over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, if it's God's will to heal the person, then the Bible says God gives us the faith. God gives us the faith. And what's the result of that faith that he gives? It's in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This also shows you that not all sickness is due to sin. It says if he committed sins, they will also be forgiven. Now it's the prayer of faith that saves the sick. And there's a lot of people holding healing services. And honestly, I believe the hottest part of hell is reserved for those kind of people. They take advantage of the sick. They take advantage of the wounded and vulnerable. And, you know, they're traveling around. Um, you know, they get on stage and they say, do you feel warm? Well, there's 20,000 people and there's cameras pointing and there's lights. I'm warm right now. Of course they feel warm. And, you know, the reason I'm so anti against it, so you guys know, is because it leads a lot of people away from Christ. Well, guys, he didn't heal me. And what did those healers do? You didn't have enough faith, right? You didn't have enough faith. We'll talk about that here in a second. Oh, God, you want a Cadillac? There's other ones you claim in, you name it. You want a Cadillac? All you have to do is say, I want a Cadillac, you're going to get a Cadillac. You want this? You, 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 you got this. It doesn't work that way. You know, they shout, slap people on the head and do all those kind of things. See, Jesus never manipulated people. He never used them for show. He always addressed their needs. He, did about making, he didn't care about them making impressions on the, on the crowds. And let me tell you something about miracles. Remember when, when Moses laid down his staff and made, made, made a snake? What, what did the servants of the Pharaoh do? Exact same thing. So just because you see some kind of fancy miracle doesn't mean that it's automatically from God. Matter of fact, in Matthew 7, uh, you, many will come. Remember that verse where you come in that day and say, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name, heal and prophesy? What does he tell them? I never knew you. So not all sickness is a world of sin. You need to don't believe that. Because if you're not healed... You lack faith, that's what they say. But if you look at the verse here, and that's what I'm saying, this false doctrine gives you false hope, and then it creates false guilt in people. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Well, who's doing the praying? Who's praying? It's not the faith of the sick that saves. It's the faith of the person that's praying. So when they say you don't have enough faith, no, 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 no. It's you that don't have enough faith that can't heal me. But either or, it's not the person. It's God that heals in the name of the Lord. And, you know, we also need to understand in, in some suffering, some afflictions, uh, Paul had some suffering, right? He prayed three times. God didn't remove it. In 1 Peter 4.19, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him and doing good as a faithful creator. So sometimes suffering affliction is the will of God. So I think James is a realist, and he recognizes two facts. One, God does still heal, but he does heal, but he does not heal everybody. Not everybody gets healed. That's also a fact of life. God does heal people in miraculous ways, but he doesn't heal everybody. So when James is saying, call spiritual leaders of your church, who's doing the calling, first of all? The sick person. So the sick person has to make the call. If you're sick in bed, you can let spiritual leaders come to your house and ask them to pray for you. Now, 
I want to also point out that this supports, because a lot of people, some people ask me, where's the word membership in church, uh, in the Bible? Well, you won't find the word membership of the church in the Bible anywhere, just like you won't find the word trinity in the Bible anywhere. But this implies support for belonging to a local church. You see, every Christian needs to belong to a local church, a particular body of believers. Why? One good reason is when you're sick, you know who to call. In the Testament church never had any free-floating Christians or just float around, listen to Christian radio, TV, go to this church, go to that church. There was no such thing. Every person was a member of a specific local church because we're a body and each of you is a member of it. And the value is when you're hurting, there's somebody there to care for you. So this guy's probably in bed, sick, they're praying over him. And look again in 14, uh, verse 14, it says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what does this mean? Does this mean, would you say, Jesus, 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 Jesus? No. The name represents the character of God, the character of the Lord. All healing is based on God's character. So what will Jesus do? What is his will? God, what are you trying to do with the, through this sickness with this person? So the Bible tells us when I'm hurting emotionally, we should pray. When I'm hurting physically, if when I have this very incurable disease or I'm just laying in bed, can't get out of bed, you call the elders if you'd like. So you pray when you're hurting physically. And then in verse 16, it encourages to pray when you're hurting spiritually. In verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, may I say to you that most of, our, most of us are good, or, are good at concealing our faults. I mean, we move heaven and earth not to confess them, but to conceal them. We're so good at concealing our faults, criticizing, or, uh, you know, wishing bad things on our enemies. But the Bible says we are to confess our faults to one another. And the reason we don't want to confess is because we, we're trying to save face. We're so full of this rotten pride. It's human nature, this little pride. And that's one thing we need to lose is, is pride, because pride goes before destruction. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And somebody said to err is human, to cover it up is also. And we just want to cover up our faults. We don't want anybody to know we have some flaws. But do you know what real spiritual power is? It's not just getting the roof off the building. It's getting the walls down. And people say, what do you mean by that? Man, well, many of us are content of confessing our, our sins to, to God, right? We, we, we confess and we get the roof off. But, I mean, we don't want anybody else to know about it. We don't want everybody else to know what's in our hearts. We don't want anybody else to know we fail. But I'll tell you something. If you study the history of revival, and I believe this is what we need, the great revivals not necessarily start with great singing, or great preaching, but they were marked with great confession of sin. 
Think of the things that take place when we confess sin. Restoration. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. This word healing here does not merely refer to the healing of the body. There's a larger word that refers to healing of the soul, healing of the spirit, physical brokenness, whenever emotional brokenness, whenever you beat spiritual when, when When we confess sin, God comes in and starts working. There has to be reconciliation. When, when we confess sin, there's reconciliation. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said was talking about it, about worship in Matthew 5.23? It says, therefore, if you bring a gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go away. Be reconciled to your brother and then come give your offer of gift. Friends. We go to our brother and say, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I want to confess my faults to you. And do you know that heaven begins to rejoice? Angels start to sing. There's reconciliation. But there can't be no reconciliation without confession. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I heard about a bitter man. He was kicked by a cow and paralyzed him. He was very bitter against, and this is a true story, men against people that didn't visit him. He was bitter against the insurance company. They didn't pay out. He was bitter against the doctor. Couldn't get him to walk again. So they did call the elder and the pastor to come to pray. And this man was very resentful. He was very angry. And his pastor told him, I believe God may want to heal you and restore you. But before we go anywhere, you have to get rid of this resentment in your life. And they prayed together, and the man just began to weep, and he just weeped. Remember what he said? It was for 10 minutes or so. Then the pastor prayed, and he left. Then, the, then that man finally made it to church in a wheelchair. Nine months he hasn't been in church. And the pastor did give an altar call, and he came, came forward and confessed it all. Guess what? God restored that man. It's a true story. He restored that man. Man is able to walk. God can't heal. He may choose not to heal. But what happened? What happened? There was this block in his life that was keeping him from doing what he wanted to do in his life. He had this spiritual, he got to get his spiritual act together. And when you do that, other acts fall in place. You're physical, you're emotional, you're spiritual. When spiritual is out of order, it affects your emotions. What do you think all these shootings are happening for? Because the spiritual is out of order. And their emotions are not controlled by God. So what's the condition for healing? Confess. But we rather conceal or camouflage our sins than confess them. But it's a liberating experience to confess our sins and get them, share them, not just with the Lord, but with each other. But I want to explain something to you about confessing your trespasses to one another. There's a principle I call circle of confession. Only confess your sin as widely as it's spread. And what I mean by that, if it's a private sin between you and the Lord, confess it to the Lord. If your sins affected somebody else, then you go to that person and you confess them too. The good rule of thumb is let your repentance be as widely known as your sin. This means don't confess 
every sin I committed to every person. Uh, you know, sometimes I don't even know, but sometimes uh, there was a situation, a person came up and said, I, I want to confess my sin to you. I, I, I hated you for several years. Okay. Thanks for caring and sharing. I didn't know that, but why do you need to confess that to me? Confess it to the Lord. Now, let's take the same scenario, and if that same person went around to 20 different people, and maybe, let's say, spread lies or said things about me or said about you, he confesses to the Lord, he confesses to you, then what he must go to those 20 other people and confess and say, I made up lies. So, but he doesn't need to tell everybody. He just needs to go and tell those 20 people. So, if should possible, undo the damage that they've done. So, the repentance should be wide as uh, known as their sin. And you deal with it in an appropriate manner. On the other hand, if you have some secret sin that's going on in your life, you can reach out to a trusted brother or sister and tell them to pray for you. I have this sin. It creates an accountability partner, so to say. So I have this sin. I want you to hold you, me accountable. So not necessarily I've committed sin against him, but I want his help. Reach out to me, see how I'm doing. So now it's not a secret anymore. And every person, you know, husband, wife, pastor, friend, you should have somebody in your life that you can share with, and you should be loved and accepted unconditionally. And in verse uh, uh, Job in 6.14 said, To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. He needs somebody there to stand with him and go through this time of doubt or time of affliction. And the Bible says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you have love for one another in John 13, 35. So who can pray? Some people think to have this uh, prayer life, you have to be some spiritual giant. I can't pray to get people healed. I could never pray for a financial miracle. So he gives us an illustration in verses 17 and 18 and says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it will not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and earth produced its fruit. Now, James mentions a character, a biblical character that everybody knew, and we are to manifest the same character that Elijah was. He was a man of like passions as we are. But what kind of prayer is James referring to? What kind of prayer was, this, was Elijah's prayer? He's talking about effectual, fervent prayer in verse 16. And he gives us his example of that prayer in verse 17 and 18. Now what happened was, because of this judgment, God, upon the sinful nation, three and a half years there was no rain. And this transpired because Elijah prayed. Prayed, there was, heavens became our grass, fields all dried up, cattle died, there was a curse of God upon the land, and then on the mountaintop, the revival, where the fire of the Lord fell, and you know, and then it was time for the rain again. And, 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 and the same prophet of God, Elijah, who through his prayers had turned the water off, is now turning the water on. And look with me at his prayer in 1 Kings 18, 42-45. So Ahab went up to drink, eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of, top of Carmel. Then he bowed down 
on the ground and put his face between his knees. So he's fervent prayer. There's energy in this prayer. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go and say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go before the rain stops you. There's a cloud the size of a fist. Elijah says, it's about to get poured. Hurry up. You're not going to make it. It's going to be a flood. Now it happened in the meantime, the sky, the sky became black with the clouds and the wind, and there was heavy rain. So Ahab, Ahab rode away and went to uh, Jezreel. There's an episode that James uses to give us an illustration of an effectual, fervent prayer. Elijah was God's man. He had integrity. He was the man who was a righteous man. Do you want your prayers answered? Who wants their prayers answered? I do. Elijah got alone with God. He humbled himself, praying for rain. He prayed seven times. He was persistent. Are we persistent in our prayers? He would not give up. And one day, the little cloud appeared and began to gush. So how can we pray effectively? Well, first, we must ask. You have to pray. And we covered this in James 4.2. It says, Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Many people do not pray in their prayers. Do you realize this is just lazy, say religious words, and their hearts, their hearts are not in the heart of the prayer. Much of our power, prayers have no power because there's no heart in it. We put so little effort into our prayers. We cannot expect God to put much heart in it if we only put so little heart in our prayers. We need to really pray, not some casual God save the earth, God save the people type of prayer. You pray specifically, you pray fervently, you pray continually, you don't give up. And that's what James is saying here. Pray with agony, pray with energy, put your heart in it. Be specific. You know, I love to hear the prayers of new Christians because they don't know all the Christian language yet. Or even the prayers of my daughter. Because they're so, they're so simple, they're so specific, and it's just so refreshing. They say the most honest, genuine things, and sometimes it's just like we, we pray, and then it celebrates, and I'm just like, her prayer is probably more effective than mine. We need to have the right motive in our prayers, too. James covered this also in verse 3 in James 4. It says, you do not receive because you ask amiss. What's your motive when you're praying? Are you asking in prayer for your own good, or you know, is it a selfish prayer? It needs to be for a genuine reason. And what's the genuine reason? So to glorify God. And we need to have a clean life. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. If you're a Christian, you are righteous. He's not talking about perfection here, and I always say that. It's not about perfection. We're talking about righteousness. Righteousness is standing before God when you become a believer. It has nothing to do with your perfection. If God only answered uh, the prayers of perfect people, how many prayers would be answered? None. But if I'm willfully and knowingly doing something I know that's displeasing to God, and I say, God, help me out here, you think he's going to help you out? Why is he going to give you more power to serve the devil? If, if your kids, I don't know, ask for car keys, and they say, I want your car keys, but I'm never going to listen to you or do my chores or anything like that, what, what's the incentive? For what? 
And Isaiah 59, 2 makes it clear. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Are you living day to day in obeying God's word? I'm not asking you for the whole word. I'm asking you about what you do know. Are you obeying at least that? Are you living a pure life? In Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And, and you know, it's very foolish. I think it's very foolish not to relinquish sins. Folks, you know, I was watching the nature show. You know how they catch monkeys in the South Sea Islands? They take a coconut. They tie it to a tree. They make a hole in it. And then they put some fruit in it or, or some uh, uh, rice. And the monkey is so curious, it gets in there in the little hole, puts his hand, and it grabs it. But then it can't get it out because its fist is bigger than the hole. And then while it's grabbing and trying to pull it out, the captive comes over and puts a, you know, a rope around its neck. It's, it's just so selfish, it's so crazy that when it's pulling it out, all it has to do is let go, and it will be freedom. And we say, stupid monkey, no. Stupid person does not relinquish their sins. We're saying the same way. We're the one to let go. All you have to do is let go and you'll have freedom. Relinquish your sins. And then we need to ask in faith. Ask in faith. We talked about this in James 1. It says, in James 1, 6, 7, it says, But let him ask in faith without doubting that he would doubt like a wave is, uh, driven with the sea and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. God, I pray, and then you still go do your stuff. You don't even wait on the answer. You, you, you doubt that he's even going to answer your prayer. So why are you praying? You should not be doubting. Friends, we all need to brush up on our praying, pray fervently, especially consistently. And folks, for our church, I want our church to be a miracle. How is it going to be a miracle? Through prayer. I want it only explained by the fact that God did it. Not somebody or some program. I want people to look at our church and say, God only did that. There's no could have done it. Must have been God. And God will do it through our prayers if we come with the right motives, a clean heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us come alongside your people and your presence and humble ourselves before you in Call on you on behalf of every need in every life to give us back the ministry of prayer in our church. And Lord, make it happen that on the congregational level that we share our weaknesses with each other. We pray for one another. Open us up that we will never get to a place where we're so weak. Strengthen us by the righteous prayers of those we love. Help us to know that our prayers have power. Even as Elijah prayed like he did and he saw the hand of God. May we know that there's power in prayer because we see your hand at work. Thank you for that prayer being comfort, restoration, and fellowship. It does all these things. And now I ask that you prepare our hearts for the Lord's table and so that we examine our hearts and participate in a worthy manner. Amen.